0: Maddie Ice, Maddie C, Matt Silver. Our war correspondent, Lou Pericone, our great producer, is out in a battlefield somewhere, but he will be back, I promise, ladies and gentlemen. It is good to be back with you here on this lovely show. We call the Sunday card. Our positional rankings shows continue and roll on. Just two divisions left, Maddie. The NFC South is upon us today. This is going to be a very interesting division. I think we got like one team at the top and three that we can maybe mix and match throughout. But it is going to definitely be a fun, fun week to, to dive into this division. How you doing, buddy?
1: I'm doing pretty well. Uh, you are right that he is our war correspondent because I believe one of the things Lewis is doing today is going to the Apple Store, which is anytime oh. you have to go to the Apple Store, I, you know, you could be there from an hour to eight hours. So, oh. you know, that 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 is war correspondent. But... Very excited here to talk about the NFC South uh, quarterback in this division that you're very familiar with. And then a lot of quarterbacks uh, in this division that are that are new to the show. I mean, new new to the, new to the division. Mm-hmm. So uh, definitely a lot of things have changed in this division over the offseason. So so some exciting stuff to talk about today.
0: This is certainly not a four-quarterback division. Let's put it that no. way. You will be mixing and matching uh, if I know this division. So should be a lot of fun. Um before we do that, there was some news that we want to get to. Let's begin with it just early this afternoon. The Arizona Cardinals have offered Kyler Murray a five-year, $230 million worth contract. That is 160 million guaranteed. Kyler Murray has apparently accepted this offer, so he will be the quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals until 2028, Matt, was this a good move, making Kyler Murray now the second highest paid quarterback
1: in football? I mean, yes, he's the second highest paid quarterback in football right now until the next deal gets done. You know, I mean, that's that's kind of how these things go. I mean, if you have a guy that you, you spent a high draft pick on and that you have some hope for for the future, you've got to pay him. And again, especially a guy that, is capable of going to another league, possibly, and play another sport. That he really does have other options to make plenty of money. You, you got to pay the guy. So, if you decide that this is where you want to go with your future, he's been good enough, not winning anything. I mean, Ugh. numbers wise, and and he's flashy. That's for sure. He's fun to watch. We definitely like to watch him play. But tying your franchise to him for the next five years will have its ups and downs. <laughs>
0: And that's what that's what that's what you get. And you, you know what? He's good enough. Is worth forty six million dollars a year. I, I know. Like, in that is just crazy to me. I mean, you're getting paid more than Patrick Mahomes on annual value. Josh Allen on annual value. Deshaun Watson. Uh, I'm. I mean, there is just a lot of quarterbacks here. Aaron Rodgers is the only one. And look, you're right. The next quarterback will get paid more than him but there are quarterbacks that are much better than him that clearly deserve to get paid more. And I, I personally, I mean, the Cardinals are going to do what they're going to do. There's just no way I would ever sign Kyler Murray to this type of contract. The guy is a losing regular season record. He's never won a playoff game. I mean, he still has two years left on his contract. What are we doing?
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Having the two years left is tough. Cause it's like this should really be make or break time to see if he's getting that, that extension. But I guess when push comes to to shove, maybe again, maybe there are other things going on behind the scenes of I better get this now, or maybe, you know, it's hard to say. Cause if he waits longer, if he waited two more years to get this done, he would get more money than he gets now, probably unless things (laughs) go bad. So definitely a good deal for Kyler yet to be seen, yet to be seen if it's good for the Cardinals.
0: I saw the tweet today. I think it was something along the lines of Kyler Murray's getting paid $46 million a year to play quarterback when he could have, been a baseball player for the A's. The entire A's payroll is $48 million. (laughs) So that's pretty good. Pretty good. So uh, kudos to him, man. He got his bag, but I don't know. I don't think I agree with this decision by the Cardinals. This is a rough one. Um, Jimmy G today was informed by the San Francisco 49ers, actually yesterday, that his agent Don Yee can begin to seek a trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. Apparently he started throwing the ball two or three weeks ago. Um, so that is a good sign for him to actually be, get going. The problem here, Matt, what is the market now for Jimmy G? Where does he go? Considering, I mean, I think a lot of obvious things going about the Browns. I think that was a, a you know an obvious thought by most people. But apparently, I'm hearing now that they had AJ McCarron and Josh Rosen trying out for them. They're looking for a backup quarterback to Jacoby Brissett, not a starter. And there's also the possibility that the Browns say that they may be looking to sue the NFL if Watson is suspended, the suspension. Now there's rumors that it could only be eight games. I don't know. I don't know if there's a, I don't know if there's a, I know that's news, right? I mean, I don't know. I don't know where Jimmy goes after that.
1: Yeah. I just, I don't know why it's coming out now. Like, why are we just doing this now as far as like, okay, now let's start looking for a trade partner. Once again, once, once the Baker deal has been done, and once, you know, some other pieces have moved around, it's like, I, you guys, you knew you were going with Trey Lance when you drafted him at three last year, You're, you know, like just cut ties with Jimmy earlier. I, I, it just seems crazy to me that it's like, oh, now as like everybody's in training camp and everyone's getting a move, now we'll try and move you when it's probably, again, like you said, much more difficult, maybe nearly impossible because outside of Seattle, I mean, other other teams either have a guy that they have locked up long-term they believe in or they have a young guy that they need to give a shot to see if they can they have anything with him for the future and you know if they know they're going to pay him or not so you know if you take out the young guys you take out Mitch Trubisky like they have they have Mitch and they have a young guy like there's just a, almost like an overload of quarterbacks right now yeah and for, for for a replacement, you know a replacement level maybe slightly above replacement level quarterback like James Garoppolo
0: yeah well th- you make a great point I'd say the other point too is that next year we're probably going to have a rich quarterback draft as well yeah. like there's a lot of good quarterbacks that are coming through the draft next year I mean names that come to mind maybe the Giants entertain something as a backup plan for Dana Jones although they brought Teddy Bridgewater in I'm oh, sorry Tyrod Taylor in um, you know maybe the Saints maybe that's a team that he could go. I mean yeah. I'm just I'm just trying to throw some type of thing out there, maybe even the Falcons. I've, I've heard the Falcons could be in play as well, and we'll get to all both of those teams' quarterbacks in, in just a second here. But there just does not seem to be a huge market right now, and it may take a starter going down to see Jimmy Garoppolo just not be active, I guess, for the 49ers until they can figure out a way to, to trade him.
1: Yeah, I mean, and the other one I've said, I mean, you could think, I, I mean, I guess Houston really, you know, wants to run Davis Mills, but I feel like, you know, Houston, I just feel like, man, what a downturn that would be for, for Jimmy going from San Fernando to like Houston and like a mm. total rebuild. But yeah, again, it's like, it's like, yeah, they have a guy you drafted in the past two seasons that you're still kind of just trying to figure out if it's going to work in your system or not. Or you got a guy they you already paid a lot of money to.
0: Poor James. Poor Roman he's god stuck, James in, stuck in purgatory
1: right now. Yeah. He's
0: just... <laughs> oh goodness, he's the, the venial sins, it's just not good. Uh let's go with uh, let's go with a little lighter note here. Uh Giants announced yesterday they're going back to those throwback unis that are, in my estimation, so clean. I mean, the Giants actually on the helmet instead of the New York um the the red kind of um lines on the on the edges there they'll clean up there the lineup uh those are beautiful from the 80s other teams now that have announced that they're going to be doing this patriots going back to those reds right here oh those are so nice those are so clean um we have the eagles and next year we'll be going back to the kelly greens i mean those might be the best ones of all without question that's not
1: not until next year
0: yeah, it's not until 2023.
1: Oh, my God. I'm so upset. Those are the best. Like, I, If I had power rankings, those were number one. I mean, those oh. days, especially like the newer age one, I feel like where the, the color is going to pop even more. Like they're going to get those things really bright. And like, man, those look good.
0: Yeah, the Niners are also bringing back the old 80s stripes on the on the red there. But how about those helmets? There's a lot of helmets that are being changed, not necessarily uniforms. I mean, we've got the Saints doing an all black. The Panthers doing a really sick all black. I think it looks cool. The Falcons are doing a red battle and the Texans, which I am not a huge fan of are doing this red battle helmets that are interesting. What did you think?
1: Yeah. I thought the Texas red ones looked kind of weird, especially like with their logo. I don't know. It's just too, there's too much red in the logo and it, it feels mm-hmm. like it's just weird. I agree with that one. Um, the Falcons one looks great. Cause they brought back again, a lot of these two are, it's like, really it's just nostalgia and, and like us liking things that were old and now cool. Now, like, the old the old Falcon is back, which I think is a, a, a more cooler, more badass looking Falcon with like mm-hmm. the all black um, like Pat the Patriot coming back. Uh, but one that is new, like you said, Carolina, that the the black with like the kind of like faded, like the, the Panthers almost yep. like coming out of the darkness. It looks like in that helmet with the teal. That looks amazing. I thought that one was really good. Um, and then I don't know if this one's true are the bangles? I've seen a lot of people posting this as like a Photoshop. Are they going with the all white bangle? Uh, there was a talk tiger about helmet when the all-white color
0: rush with the white bangle
1: helmet, like the white stripes. Yeah. It, it is it is funny that they that's they still lean and call it color rush when it's like the absolute absence of all colors, <laughs> it's literally no just no. black and white, especially yeah. if we get rid of the orange helmet. Um, but the one you pointed out, the Saints one, it's not just all black. I mean, I feel like this is like. Designer style. I don't know if you like. They got mm-hmm. the the Florida Lee going, and like it's a bunch of small ones going in a stripe down the middle. Yep. Like I feel like that's what what like Louis Vuitton bags look like, and Gucci like with the little logo just repeated <laughs> a thousand times. Like I was like, I think this is like a Louis Vuitton inspired helmet here. So I, did, don't, I don't know so much about that one.
0: Did you notice the collar on the uniform too is going to be like that too? If you go back and look at it, the collar of the uniform has a bunch of little Saints logos in there, very like you're saying Louis Vuitton esque right in the in the chest plate so it it's going to be interesting seeing them you'll have to go back and look at them you can go on youtube just type pat mcafee did a great breakdown of all of them on his show of all those uniforms you can go and look at them really cool
1: oh and again i, I had i know again obviously the giants had used those uniforms in the past but i just think and now in today's age it's just the bills i mean i don't i don't know like <laughs> i just see the bills like I, the helmet i'm so happy they're going back to the giants on the helmet that looks way better but everybody's like, "Oh, these are sick!" It's just like it's—it's it's just the Bills' uniform. Like, there's kind of there's, like, <laughs> there's like no difference as far as like I had to pull it up, but there is arguably no difference at all.
0: That's very funny. I didn't even think about that. It very much is just like the Bills' uniform. Wow. All right. Well, kind of. Which New York team do you want? You know, they're copying each other. Um, interesting. Interesting stuff. But really cool to see some of those throwbacks. And then in 2023, when the helmet rule gets changed, we're going to be all in. I mean, it's going to be great. Um, Let's get into it. NFC South. We've talked about a lot of those uniforms from yesteryear. Let's talk about a guy who has been around for decades upon decades. And that is our, our personal goat here. Tom Brady uh, at quarterbacks. So I'll just lay it down first really quick and then I'll, I'll get to you and see what you have to say about my list. Uh, obviously I think we're going to have Tom Brady at the top here. There's no real debate there. Number one in passing yards, number one in uh, touchdowns last year, uh, 102.1 pass rating. Like I, I could go on and on the list is at the top. And the fact that he retired now is unretired and even more pissed off and you know, there's every reason in the world to put Tom Brady number one here. So there's not going to be a debate. Here's where we might have a debate. You know, th- these, this is a very difficult decision for me between the Saints and the Panthers, because I think right now I look at, you know, the Saints have Jameis Winston and the Panthers right now have a quarterback battle technically uh, between Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield. Now, I think Baker Mayfield pushing him into that spot also gives Sam Darnold a chance to really, really compete. This is a great, interesting little matchup. I mean, Darnold played in 12 games last year. Mayfield played in 14 games last year. But the numbers are semi-similar until you get to touchdowns. That's pretty much where you go at. I mean, in 12 games, Darnold had 2,500 yards. Mayfield had 3,000. The only difference they had was touchdowns. Darnold only had nine. Baker had 17. They both had 13 picks. Just 6.2 yards per attempt for Darnold, 7.2 for Baker. But, I mean, they both had about 60% completion percentages. Baker was a little bit better but not great in the passer rating. Uh, Darnold was pretty bad passer rating-wise. Not a lot there. But what Darnold provides that Baker doesn't, I think Darnold is a better runner uh, than Baker Mayfield, if I'm going to be honest with you. The guy had five rushing touchdowns and over 200 yards rushing last year uh, just out of the blue. So I think he's a little bit better in that category, running those RPO games. Jameis Winston, can he stay on the field? I feel like we haven't seen anything from Jameis Winston outside of a 30-interception year uh, and and a complete outlier year. He had 5,000 yards and he had 30 touchdowns. He had 30 picks. Then he's a backup with the Saints. Then he's a starter last year but only plays in seven games. Their backups are Andy Dalton, who's 35, Taysom Hill, who's 31, and is not really a quarterback. I'm throwing the Carolina Panthers in here at number two. I, I, that's what I'm doing. I mean, I would much rather have two guys that I can at least pit against each other. One of them is going to win that job, and I have a good backup if I need it, than Jameis and not knowing if he's going to be able to, to weather the storm, maintain to be able to play a full season. I just don't know if that's true. So all three of these guys are, quote-unquote, injury-prone, if you will. But if I have Darnold Mayfield versus Winston – And then my backups are Andy Dalton and Taysom Hill. I'm going with, I'm going with Darnold and Mayfield in that category. And then Atlanta, I mean, you know, we've got Mariota has thrown 30 passes in two years. I mean, it hasn't held a starting job in four years. And then they've got a rookie out of Cincinnati. That's my list. I think it's pretty straightforward, but see what you have to say.
1: Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm glad you clarified something because I was. I'm glad you took the reins on it because I wasn't sure how we were weighing Taysom Hill. Because again, as I go through these, I'm looking on PFF, and he is listed in the cat in, in the quarterback category and in the tight end category for the depth chart. And it does. I do think after last season when it was like, all right, we're getting Taysom starting games, like he's running the offense. It didn't work. Like you know, what I mean, like we finally like there was there was always that little bit of hope because we never seen him fully take over, and then he did, and then it was <coughs> so. I I think I'm like we're Not looking at him as a quarterback anymore, he's a gadget player. Well, if you want to put him in the tight end category because that's his build, mm. perfect. So, I agree. So, I think if we were considering him in the quarterback thing, I was gonna have uh, the Saints too. Like Tom Brady, one sorry, bypass that really quick. The goats at the top, <laughs> come um, on. <laughs> um, but I did think about having the Saints hit two if I was counting Taysom there, but I counted him more towards the pass catcher tight end category. So I do have Carolina, which you, you didn't even mention that, also drafted Matt Corral. So we also yeah. have another another piece of just unknown, you know, that is better potential than what we do know out of, like you said, Andy Dalton as being our only other option. For, and, you know, behind Jameis Winston, who is trying to come back from ACL, you know, uh, surgery in the off, you know. And, and um, by the
0: way, don't even get me started on the whole Ian Book situation and that whole thing. He
1: was the worst I, performance ever. So that's yeah. Again, subtraction by addition. Yes. Like, <laughs> as I like to say uh, on, on the roster there. So I, I do end up agreeing with you. It's a long way me, me saying I agree with you on this. So Tampa Bay, New Orleans, Carolina, and then again, Atlanta is, they are the most just mysterious team. I don't know what the offense is going to look like. Is the defense going to be any good at all? Like they are a mystery.
0: You know, what's great about this division both me and you have had strong takes about all four of these teams. The Tampa idea with Brady, we have both loved Carolina for a while, like, and now we're not too sure. The Saints, you've always been down on, and have always been like, this is the year they're going to falter, and maybe changing that now. And then you have just this sickness with the Falcons for a long time. So, like, I this is such a funny division to me for us specifically and for this show. But I do agree with you. I think I think this is pretty cut and dry not super cut and dry you want to start with running backs because this one is another one that is like this is a hard one this is every one maybe outside of the falcons have you know there's some really good running backs in this division
1: yeah i agree this is this is one that took a little while and i think it's going to say a lot about how we feel about certain guys in this category here so uh starting i guess yeah we'll we'll, we'll stay with top to bottom here i, I did have who is probably the best individual running back, but I think the best room as well, Carolina with Christian McCaffrey sitting at the top. And again, I think Christian McCaffrey is the most overall talented out of these guys. Again, the injury thing is just what always comes up with Christian McCaffrey. And I, running back is the one spot that I really have to like, I tone that down a little bit because every running back is injury prone. And obviously with the amount that Christian McCaffrey's on the field, playing a hundred snap, you know, playing hundred percent of the time, like two or three seasons ago, like never, literally never coming off the field. That does increase your injury risk, obviously. But I would like to think now you have Chuba Hubbard back there who did a really good job for him uh, last year when he was out. And then Deonta Foreman comes over from Tennessee, who he was kind of a guy that we thought he was supposed to be the guy in in Houston for a little while, never really did anything uh, when he was there, had a lot of injuries himself, went to Tennessee last year. And then had some performances when Derrick Henry was out and and fit in really well in that role. So I think when you got those three guys back there now, I think that that's a pretty strong room with uh CMC Hubbard and Deontay Foreman. So I have Carolina number one. And then the next, this one was hard too. The next strongest room I think is new Orleans because again, they have a guy like Kamara at the top who, who can do it all. And he could just, he does everything for that offense. And he has, especially last year when they had, you know, no Michael Thomas for the entire year, they had no weapons. It was It was entirely up to Kamara to do, to make any sort of thing go on that offense. Kamara and Taysom Hill. Uh, They still have, Mark Ingram has left and come back. So he is, he's older now. I know, I know it's like you're rolling your eyes like Mark Ingram. But then you got Tony Jones Jr. Who kind of does feel like a little bit of a Kamara guy. He's not nearly as good of, I don't think he's at Kamara's skill level, catching the ball out of the backfield uh, or making, you know, making guys miss open field. But he is able to do enough things and as I'm talking through it, I do feel like I should have my number three team above them, which is Tampa Bay, because <laughs> I'm starting to feel like now, like, I don't know, I'm, I'm maybe giving them too much, too much with Mark Ingram, who is, who is pretty old. He might, he might go downhill pretty fast um, this season, but yet to be seen. But as my list is, I have campaign number three, uh, you got Leonard Fournette, who apparently came in a little hefty after uh, a <laughs> little hefty cheese out there. Yeah, he, uh, he thought Tom. Bra- he thought Tom Brady had retired, and he was kicking back. And then he's like, "Oh, Tom's back!" And then now I I, I stopped paying attention to my tv 12 diet that he had sent me because uh, I thought he was gone. So, but you got uh, Leonard Fournette, Giovanni Bernard, obviously the pass catching running back for Brady that he needs to have, the guy that he can rely on to get first downs and check down to when things get bad. Uh, Keyshawn Vaughn's still there, and then you could tell me a little bit more, obviously about. Uh, Rashad White, uh, you know, rookie running back who I think could come in and do uh, some special things, and then, it, it, and last, Atlanta with Cordero Patterson who just had an, an I, I think it's an anomaly of a year last year what he did for like fantasy owners that had him just absolutely insane what he was able to do. Uh, you have playoff Damian Damian Williams coming over uh, from from uh, Kansas City basically through Chicago. I yep. uh, took a connector in O'Hare, and then um, I, I don't know anything about. Tyler Algier or Al Grier. You might want to. Uh, you want to tell me that? I just see. why I, threw, I throw the rookies out there for you to talk about.
0: You might want to think about him as a fantasy player. I'm just saying. I mean, first off, can we just acknowledge Cordell Patterson was on the all decade team in 2010s, which is amazing um, as, as, as a returner? A,
1: as, as a kick returner? Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah he's in, It's incredible. His career is unlike any others. Um, and now he's a running back. That's really a wide receiver. That's really a return man. Yeah, he's incredible. Um, but I'll I'll go from four to one now because well I'll just want to talk about the Atlanta room and it's not a great room. Clearly, I mean it's Cordell Patterson. I agree, outlier year. This kid Algier man. I I went in and I really wanted to go back and look at his tape. Out of BYU, kid is like looks like he is built for the NFL. Very instinctual can catch the ball, is great after contact, can run through like tacklers. Um, I really like this kid. I think Arthur Smith will really like him. I I think by the end of the year, he'll be the starting running back. I I think there's no question. I I am a very, very high on Tyler Algier to be one of the better players. And Quadri Allison also there, who has at least had some playing time, is that fourth string guy. Um, The argument's going to be between – Tampa and New Orleans, I think, because Carolina I also have at the top. I think with McCaffrey on the field, even though he has maintained injuries, he's still just one of like the best weapons in all of football. Me personally, if he's on the field, running back-wise, he's maybe Jonathan Taylor has a slight edge on him, but he's right there. Um, and then Chuba Hubbard, like you said, coming in, playing that position – um, did a good job and he's only going to get better. Deontay Foreman again. So they're three deep, they're three deep there yeah. that they are solid running backs and then one elite guy. Um, so I love that. I put Tampa number two, uh, and that's where we're going to differ here. And the reason being, if you look at Camara, you can't remember, you remember, Kamara is going to be suspended for six games yeah. in this, in the season. So that factors like you have to fact that into this season, New Orleans running back room is going to be relying on Mark Ingram. Um, you know, for That's six weeks.
1: I, I counted in the Godwin injury. I did not even factor that in as far as that goes. I totally forgot that he's got the suspension coming
0: right. And if you look at this, uh, you look at Leonard Fournette, uh, he had just as many rushing yards as Alvin Kamara last year. Fournette, look at his receptions. I mean, he had 69 receptions and 84 targets last year. Kamara had 47 on 67 targets, he got more targets and more, and by far more receptions than Alvin Kamara. Um, he had an excellent year last year. And I think he's a great guy, if you, like fantasy wise. Like I think he's a, probably an underrated dude that people don't really think about as a pass catching back. And we'll talk about that later in a fantasy episode in a couple of weeks. But Keyshawn Vaughn got a lot of good. I mean, he was great coming out of Vanderbilt. Real good player, solid. You know, we saw him last year really kind of help carry that uh, running game. Gio Bernard will be back. I also have Kenyon Barner. Like if he can make the team. Rashad White was not very high on my radar in terms of running backs. I I, I think that, you know, I'm going to look and see. He's more of the power back um, a little bit here. So we'll see how that all goes. He's there to replace Ronald Jones. But I, I think having Kamara suspended makes it really tough for me to have New Orleans at number two. So I, I would go Carolina, Tampa, New Orleans and Atlanta.
1: Yeah, again, if I factored in that Kamara injury at all into my, my thing, there's. Feel like there's been there's so many guys between oh, we know Calvin really's out for the year, but again as we're about to get into pass catchers, I'm doing my you know a lot of injuries going around with these pass catchers mm-hmm. that might not start the year, you know, might be gone until close to playoffs and things like that. I feel like I was in the injury news and I wasn't looking at suspension news. So uh, I gotta stay up to date on top of all my NFL news here. That Dan, that's why you're around, that's why I keep you around.
0: I'll keep you in that, keep you around. You know, I get I get the news from the principal's office, you know, all that stuff. So hand out punishments and the, and, and the whatnot, uh, pass catchers, interesting group, interesting group, because there's a lot of, I think each one of these rooms has at least one elite player if they're on a field. And that's a caveat with Michael Thomas, but there is definitely a lot of talent here, but for me, I would say I have to go Tampa at number one, and really this more has to do with Evans, but it also has to do with Brady just enhances every guy on this list. And that's a hard thing. Are we are we getting? Are we am I breaking the rules? Am I breaking the rules? You're
1: you're, you're fat you're adding in things. We're talking about the receivers. All right.
0: I won't add anything in, but still. I'm not you're, gonna so you're,
1: you're saying Tyler Johnson's better just because he plays a no.
0: Break? No, 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 no. I think Chris Godwin has had his like career definitely bolstered by Tom Brady coming in and he was actually producing before Tom Brady got here. So, but he only really had one year. He was still a young receiver and Brady came in. I think he really enhanced a lot of the stuff. I think Russell Gage will probably benefit from this a lot this year, but if you look at it, I mean, we're talking Mike Evans, top 10 receiver in the league in my mind, Chris Godwin has had top 10 receiver production at least at his position, I think Russell Gage is an excellent number three. If you can get 650 yards out of your number three receiver, that's a really good year. I, I think that's fantastic. And then you add Tyler Johnson. By the way, the Bucks receivers last year uh, led the league in receptions, yards, and touchdowns of all of all receiver rooms. So you know you have to factor that in. I mean, they had the only receiver room to have over 5,000 yards um, between all of them. So that's a factor in Tyler Johnson. I like. Um, I think Brashad Perryman, if he can make it, Scotty Miller, we'll see who's that five-ish guy. Um, the tight end scares me a little bit. I do think that the loss of Gronk will hurt them a little, but I don't know if you saw this today. Um, to add with Cameron Brait, they did sign Kyle Rudolph today to a contract. Um, now, Kyle Rudolph is much older, didn't really pan out with the Giants, but Is definitely one of those veterans, you know, that Brady loves to work with. So we'll see how that works out. So that, you know, might give you a little bit of jolt. But as far as, you know, the next team I go with, I mean, I go with New Orleans next. But the whole caveat is, is Michael Thomas on the field? Like, they say he's going to play. Is he going to – A, is he going to play? And is he going to be satisfied enough with the situation to care? You know, Michael Thomas has all the talent in the world. Is he going to care this year um, to play? Um, I love Chris Olave. Great route running, a lot of speed. He's gonna really make things really difficult out of the slot. He's gonna learn a lot from Jarvis Landry, uh, coming over there. And now Marcus Callaway, who was one of their best players last year, is a number two, is a number four receiver, was their number one receiver last year. Yeah, that's a great number four to have. Um, Traquan Smith, they have Adam Troutman and Taysom Hill to play tight end, and obviously they're gonna do a lot with Taysom Hill. I do wonder how they use him this year because Sean Payton not being there, you know, it could create more wrinkles in the system. Uh, But I put them number two and I put Carolina number three. And the reason being DJ Moore, man, he just puts up such good numbers. I mean, he just, he is right up there with some of the best wide receivers in the league. The problem is with this whole group, this whole group, here's the problem. Stop dropping the football. They're number two in the league last year in drops. They had 28 drops as a group last year. I mean, that just can't happen anymore. Can't, by the way, you know who number one was? Uh, teams. Teams Teams that dropped the football. Cowboys. This might benefit you specifically. This is the Los Angeles Chargers. The number one know. drops team really? in the league last year. But Carol- Carolina just drops too many balls. Robbie Anderson had a rough year last year. He needs to bounce back. Terrence Marshall, they got to get stuff out of him, <laughs> excuse me. And then the tight end situation is not great. Ian Thomas, I like Tommy Trimble a little bit there, but he's still got a ways to go. It's a, a lot of development still to take place with quarterbacks that are looking to prove themselves. And then on top of that, you know, you go with Atlanta, and this is just uh, outside of pits. I mean, they're just not much here. I know, like, people are excited about Drake London. I don't see Drake London being that explosive T. Higgins type of receiver to me, I think he's a he's a possession receiver. Um, he's a big body and they're going to try to mismatch, put pits on the outside and London on the outside and have their corners try to figure it out. I'm not sure about London. I, I think he's going to get a rude taste. Brian Edwards, a lot of speed, but didn't work out in 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 uh, in Vegas. Demir Bird, uh, our favorite name, Alameda that uh, just rolls off the tongue. Great. For, what a great name. Um, but I, I do like Anthony Ferks are backing up Kyle Pitts too, but there's just not a lot. Maybe Cordell Patterson goes back to receiver a little bit this year. Um, yeah, this is my list. And I, I just don't see a lot from Atlanta. You can see a lot of Atlanta in last place for most of this. So Tampa, New Orleans, Carolina, Atlanta for pass catchers.
1: Olamita Zacchaeus I get that right? right. I see. I want, I almost wanted to go first there. Cause I was going to see if I can nail it. But now once I heard you say it, I can get it, but. We'll start there at the bottom with, with number four, Atlanta. I mean, I, I agree. It's pretty much got to be it. Uh, you talked about drops. Brian Edwards is a name that comes to mind. Again, all the speed in the world can get wide open and then just drop the ball. Um, they bring in Autumn Tate. Like, you know, that's that's something, I guess. But again, it's another team of bringing in guys that were second, third, fourth options on other teams and trying to make them like primary, primary actions. So, like I said, it's the Kyle Pitts show. We'll see how Drake London does. Number three. Again, maybe I'm paying too much to the Chris Godwin injury, but I have Tampa Bay number three. because wow. They're saying Godwin can be out past halfway through the season. Maybe not till, maybe not till closer to like week 10, you know, w- with that injury that he had. And if you do that, then you're stuck with just Mike Evans. Your number two is Russell Gage, who I like, I do like, and again, I think playing with Brady, like he'll put up good numbers and talk about uh, again, fantasy sleeper. Like you mentioned, like, I think he's a big benefit of that, but then, you know, Rashad Perryman and Tyler Johnson, we did see, you know, when it was down to those kind of guys to make some plays in the playoffs, it felt like they let them down. And we saw it with in front of our own eyes in the stadium. When we were there last year, like they had some plays that they could have been a little bit better. Mm-hmm. The loss of Gronk loss of AB. Like I think this, this receiver group got drastically, drastically weaker than last mm-hmm. year. I said, especially if you have Godwin out until at least halfway through the season. So again, Brady will get by and he will elevate these guys, but. I think as far as talent in the room, I do have them three. Uh, but other than that, it's, it's flip that down. I have the same order. I have Carolina uh, in number two spot. Uh, like I said I think th- those first three guys they have DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and I think Terrace Marshall Jr. can be a really good player. I think that he can he could come on pretty well and start to develop uh, as well as bring it over Rashad Higgins, who I think you know it, it is someone there to fill in if, if there's injuries for them. Uh, and I do like if everybody's on the field for New Orleans, like you said, if, if we can count on everybody, it's kind of kind of stacked now. I mean, if you have Michael Thomas back, they're optimistic for him to be participating in training camp. He is a bona fide number one if he is playing at the level that he's capable of playing at. Uh, you've got a reliable veteran in, in Landry, and so we, we both really like Chris Olave and what he's going to be able to do and, uh, and, and complement those guys. Uh, I, I think you've got three insanely crisp and good route runners that, I mean, the timing in this offense can just be, can be really clicking uh if, if they get things going during training camp here, as well as like I said, moving those guys down the lineup to just have burners, just to have some guys with fresh legs, like, like Traquan Smith and Callaway to go out there. And when you need them to just run a nine route and blow by by a corner. So as well as uh again, we're factoring Taysom Hill into the, the overall weapon category uh that he is uh, outside of quarterback position. He's very good at everything else that he could do but not the quarterback position. So uh, for me, it's New Orleans, Carolina, Tampa Bay, Atlanta.
0: That's super interesting. Can you at least explain to me how, and maybe New Orleans does have an argument, even with Chris Godwin, who will be back, can you explain your recollection or your, your reasoning behind Carolina ahead of Tampa in this way?
1: I mean, like I think you said like DJ Moore has put up very good reception and yard numbers over this past he, he has poor very poor touchdown numbers he's had like one of the lowest touchdown rates I think as as far as like his usage goes like you know someone who, who's getting like over 25 percent of the targets uh for their offense the his touchdown percentage in that group is like <laughs> at the very very bottom Robbie Anderson I thought when he, you know last year was a down year I think two years ago he showed that he's got a lot left in the tank still, you know, even from his Jets days. And then again, I, I, I like, I like Terrace Marshall Jr. I think that he's going to start to develop into something, you know, pretty good. And I just, those three guys, if I'm comparing them to Mike Evans, Russell Gage, Tyler Johnson, I would still take that three. And I, again, I think the tight end category uh, I think is, is kind of a wash. I don't, I don't love, you know, I, I think either the the tight end groups and, and, and those like Cameron Bray doesn't do much for me. It, it So I don't know. I, I think, I, I think I just, I think I'm looking at the top three receivers that I'm thinking on that are going to be on the field on most sets. And I, I just think I would take that Carolina group if I'm taking Godwin out for the large part of the season. Yeah. I, I, and I think that must be the biggest factor because
0: I've heard similar things to what you've said, but I've also heard that Chris Godwin is now pushing to maybe even start closer to week one, week two, that you know, so I've heard different rumblings. I think we're going to see as the weeks go on, but my estimation is that Chris Godwin going to be is going to be back at some point um, in and more than likely in the first half of the year. So I, I I can't take away all what Chris Godwin does if he's going to play for the majority of the time. Now maybe if I'm doing that, you know, in the same sense as Kamara. But I know exactly how long Kamara is going to be out. I yeah. don't know that with Godwin. So uh, interesting. Was, that's an interesting way we're looking at it. So the Panthers, and we're going to get into this next category here because, boy, I mean, these defenses, I think you got three defenses here that got a lot of talent. I mean, a lot, a lot of talent. Um, I, I know that Atlanta is really struggling, and I imagine that, and maybe we'll just get out way now, I imagine that it's number four, like Grady Jarrett and AJ Terrell are like the only guys that on that defense that can do anything.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question that we both got them on the bottom here. I, and yeah. that was pretty pretty obvious, pretty spelled out from the start. So yeah, like you said, it's a matter of differentiating the other three. Yeah, and this is hard. I say I think it is your turn to go first here. So I'm happy to pass it off.
0: Okay, you pass it off, he's happy to pass it off. All right, let's let's take a look and let's take Gander. This is a great group. Great group uh, defensively. I think that especially on the defensive line, these defensive lines are really, really good. Um, New Orleans in particular, if you look at some of their stats last year, they were first in the league in rush defensive yards per attempt. They gave up the least amount of yards per attempt, 3.7 yards on the ground per rush that was the best in all of football they were the best team in the red zone last year great red zone defense they were fourth in passer rating so their secondary was solid tampa same same thing secondary was solid until you saw carlton davis jamel dean some of those guys start to go down and that really hurt them in the playoffs as well but elite level players at all these positions and they were a top 10 rush defense for me number three because we're going Atlanta, number four Um, And they're awful. Number three, I'll start with Carolina Uh, and I'm going to throw Carolina in there just because and it's not because Carolina, I think, is a bad defense. I think they're actually a good defense, but they're not a deep defense. I look at their team. I see uh, on the defensive line. I mean, Brian Burns, we got to start acknowledging that Brian Burns is clearly in, I don't know, the top 15 pass rushers in all of football. I, I think that he is a really, really special, really powerful um, and you match him up with Yitor Gross Matos from, uh, from back there. They drafted him at of Penn State a couple of years ago. You've got two high-motor, one really good player, but a high-motor other defensive end. And then Derek Brown and Matt Ionitis in the middle. Again, a high-motor defensive tackle and Ioannidis. Derek Brown is a load and really hard to deal with. Outside of Davion Nixon, they're not really that deep at that position, though. They do have an, a, a pretty good linebacker here in, in Shaq Thompson but not much else. If you look at them, Corey Littleton, Damian Nils- uh, Wilson, not a lot there. Here's what I really like about the Panthers. They're secondary. I mean, Dante Jackson and C.J. Henderson are going to be playing the corner position, but J.C. Horn, man, I mean, this guy is an absolute tank. Not only can he defend the pass and really stick with smaller, shiftier uh, receivers, he can really tackle. I mean, his tackling is really incredible. Um, and then you've got Xavier Woods and Jeremy Chin is another kid that's like Southern Illinois kid, one of the strongest safeties in all of football. These are a lot of people don't watch the Panthers. So if you know JC Horn and Jeremy Chin, those two guys right there are elite level talent in their secondary, no question about that. But my problem with them is that they don't have a lot behind that. That's that's what I need to see. So the top guys, great, but not a lot behind that. This is where we get – it got hard. It got really hard with number two and number one. Matt, I think we've been looking at a lot of great defenses. I think we've liked Buffalo. I think we've liked Baltimore. The Chargers and the Broncos we've really liked. We like the Eagles a lot. We like the Packers a lot. I think these two might be right up there, one and two. I I really think that, and and that's a bold statement. Number two, though, I am going to go with, for one reason and one reason only, I'm going to go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, number two. And here's why. Uh, I think that the Bucks might have the best defensive line in all this. I mean, if you look at it from top to bottom, Golson, Joe Tryon, uh, then you've got Shaq Barrett, who's a top pass rusher in the league. Um, so those are your pass rushers, and then you've got Akeem Hicks and Vita Vea in the middle. I mean, it, it's a you find two tougher defensive tackles to deal with than that in the league. It's not easy. It really is not easy. Vita Vea is a beast. They've got Logan Hall behind him, who's a kind of a going to be a rookie that's a project out of Houston, real big guy, um, but has a lot of long arms, can get a lot of length on those tackles. The, maybe the best linebacker duo in the league in David and White. I think that's definitely a thing. you got K.J. Britt backing him up. And our boy Grant Stewart out of the University of Houston. Thank you, Mr. Irrelevant. Let's go. Love Grant Stewart. He's backing him up. I have to give him a shout-out, of course. Um, So he's backing them up, but no better linebacker uh, group than than that, than those two guys. Um, And then the corners. I mean, when Davis and Dean went down, I think that really hurt them. That was a problem. Sean Murphy Bunting is one of the best nickel corners already in the league. He's done a great job. Antoine Winfield is already up there as well. And I like how they replaced Jordan Whitehead. They brought in a veteran in Logan Ryan. They have Keanu Neal back there as well backing them up. Mike Edwards will probably start along with a mix of Keanu Neal, who can also play linebacker. So uh, I think this is a really, really good defense with a lot of elite level talent. But the reason why I put new Orleans ahead of them is because I think new Orleans has the best secondary in the league. That's my opinion. I think it's without question uh, across the board, depth and elite, elite starters. Uh, If you look at them, you're looking with Marshawn Lattimore, who's right up there in the top five corners in the league. Paulson Adebo is probably the weaker link, but still not a bad corner to have. And then CJ Gardner-Johnson, again, another nickel corner that allows them to do so much more. Uh, it's it, They're really, really talented at that position. The safety position, they might have the best safety combination. Marcus May, and you bring in the Honey Badger to come home, and he just gives you the ability to do so much different schemes on this defense, and so much flexibility with pass and run concepts and coverages, that it's going to be really difficult for for teams to to deal with that. They drafted a kid, Alante Taylor, out of Tennessee, that I really liked. I thought he's a nice little long, a little longer of a corner, but has really good movement with quick hip movement. Can can really turn and go with a lot of fast receivers. Daniel Sorensen, they also have to back up Marcus May, Bradley Roby. They brought in as a as a um, as a veteran corner, so I love that. I and and then you talk about like they were the best rush defense in terms of yards per attempt in the league last year. They have an elite level top top three or four linebacker in the league, maybe, and Demario Davis, who never gets any love or credit, but he's excellent. And then you got Cam Jordan, who's still an elite level talent, and then a lot of kind of role player guys like David Anyamata, Marcus Davenport, guys like that. Again, not the deepest at the at the line either, but. They're not a maybe star studded lineup on that line outside of Cam Jordan, but they really play well together as a unit. They didn't lose their defensive coordinator and they have the best secondary in all of football. Uh, I think that's no question. New Orleans, New Orleans and Tampa are definitely up there. I think them in Baltimore so far might be the best defenses that I've seen.
1: I don't want to argue with you too much there, Dan. I I do have the same list. I think you did, you, you know, you, and a lot of this, you know, pretty much for the same justifications that that you have. I mean, like I said, Atlanta at the bottom, we already said that. Uh, Carolina, I, I agree. Like I said, they've got a really good pass rush um, and, and, a, and a secondary that that is coming on. But again, it just feels like they have one guy that goes down and it, it's just not going to be nearly the the cohesive unit that they need to have. Um, Tampa and New Orleans was super close, but I, I can't agree more with you. Like I said, I think that depth that Maybe not as much in the line, but like depth everywhere else uh, for New Orleans, really. I mean, they, they are so deep um, in that secondary spot. Bringing in like arguably one of the best safe, you know, a, a top three safety in the league, like just unbelievable. And it took, took a lot, you know, he was on the market for a long time. And the fact that he signs with a team like that where he can truly make an impact and make a good defense. Great. Um, I think that New Orleans is definitely a top five defense across the entire league. And you can make a case for Tampa being in that top five across the whole league as well. Uh, I mean, not much to talk about those guys. They've been running back that same group pretty much for the past two years. They swap out uh, Ndamukong Katsu for Hicks, which I think can be an upgrade. I mean, Akeem Hicks yep. is fantastic. So definitely, definitely I agree with your list and I, you know, I think we kind of, you kind of nailed it. You did a really good breakdown there.
0: Well, I appreciate it because that, that was a really tough way. Like I had Tampa there number one for the longest time. And then I, I thought about, it. I'm like, they just, this is, a, this is secondary is like so loaded. I, ha, I don't, I haven't seen a secondary like this. Like I think the Broncos probably come a little close. Um, you know, the, the Packers come close. Uh, there's just not a lot that can match with this. They lose Marcus Williams. They bring in Tyron Matthew. I mean, that's it's a pretty good replacement right there. Pretty good. Right. Um, let's go coaches to finish it out. Uh yeah. This one is hard. <laughs> I this mean, one's interesting. It's interesting because there's no coach that you look at and say, Oh yeah, that's a clear, clear top of the league. Like guy, you've got two former head coaches that are now making returns. And then you've got a third and second year head coach that a lot of people have hyped up and maybe there's some discrepancy on where they both are at this point. So they just both haven't really done much with, with their team. So this is on you. I'm giving you the four on this one. Where you got it?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. You said the, the two former head coaches, you know, coming back to get the get a, a, a second time or third time. I know Dennis Hall, second time. Just Todd Bowles? Is this his third this stint is his as a head second, coach. Second stint. This is his second as well. So, mm-hmm. but they, it's two guys that have been with the team that they're taking over for a long time. They're not mm-hmm. changing systems and going over to 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 change the team's new culture. Like they've been there, they've been installed. Todd Bowles for the past three years I believe and then Dennis Allen's been there since 2015 so I I do have I have Tampa number one because again it feels as much as Bowles got the head coaching position I I I was I thought there was a chance that Leftwich was going to get it too I think there was just as much of an opportunity that Leftwich could have taken over the 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 head coaching position and and they would have just had no OC just the way the same way that Bowles took over they don't have a DC right now but again I think you go to the veteran and you go to the guy that's at least done it before keep Byron focused on the offense, work with Tom, you handle that and don't worry about all the other noise that's going on. So I have them at the top because yeah, Bruce Arians was there, but I, these guys were no. running the show anyway. You know what I mean? <laughs> Bruce Arians is, is the face level. I think that these guys have always been, you know, we know that Byron's running the offense and he's running the defense. So it's, I don't think much changes there for them. Um, and I kind of feel the same way about the number two team in new Orleans, because again, there's no more Sean Payton. There's no more face of it. The guy, the head coach, Dennis Allen since 2015, and they had their offensive coordinator Carmichael since 2009.
0: Yeah, since he's 2009. Been there yeah,
1: he knows everything that Sean Payton was doing. They did it together. They were planning it together. They, I'm sure, they share the same offensive mind at this point. So again, it's two things where there's two new head coaches, but I don't know a ton changes with these teams. So I think it's kind of where we would still have these teams where we, if we ranked them here last year with Tampa right. Bay and then New Orleans at the top. So I just think that the consistency and the mainstay there is good. Um, I have Atlanta finally, not in last. Number three. <laughs> I got Arthur. I got Arthur Smith.
0: I knew uh, you were Atlanta.
1: gonna do this too. There had to
0: be some point where Atlanta had to get a nod
1: for you. Uh, well, all right, Dan. Let's get to it. Atlanta's there. Let's get to it. And last is Matt Rule, who you love Matt Rule. I don't know if you still love Matt Rule. You've always you have. The man is fits on himself. The man who's only got five, five wins in each of his two seasons coaching that he was supposed to be this breakthrough guy and subtraction by addition Ben McAdoo's calling the offense or he's the offensive coordinator now. I don't know Uh, rule might still be calling himself, but I don't remember Ben McAdoo in uh, New York. He wasn't very good. Not that I remember. So you go ahead and defend Matt rule. Well,
0: I mean, look, I think when you're judging these two guys together, you have to look at it and say, Neither of these guys have done anything, okay? So where are we going on experience? Are we going on, like, what puts, like, you've made the argument for me that Matt Rule is not a great coach. But I don't hear Arthur Smith is good as a coach. That's what I don't hear. And for Matt Rule, to me, I look at Matt Rule, defensive guy, Coughlin bred like it's where he was. He was with the Giants for a long time, went to Baylor, built that program, went to Temple, built that program, um, you know, and has made some decisions that have definitely been questionable. But at least I can see the plan for Matt Rule. I can see that there's a plan. I think he's more of the CEO type of coach. And for Arthur Smith, I just see an offensive coordinator as head coach. So I don't see a full-on – there's more to head coach. We've learned it from how many coaches, Matt Nagy's and all those types of coaches, that there's more to being a head coach than just being an offensive coordinator. It's game plan. It's organization. It's it's decision-making. It's critical decision-making in very high-pressure situations. And I can't say that Arthur Smith has done any of those things. Now, can I say Matt Rule has done any of those things? At least as a head coach in his past, he has proven it. And, you know, maybe Dean Pease will help Arthur Smith because Dean Pease is an excellent defensive mind. And, you know, they just don't have a lot there. It's it's going it's, – I can't really – Arthur Smith gets an incomplete. That's basically what it is. Arthur Smith gets an incomplete and really shouldn't even be on this list at all because we have no clue. So that's why I put Matt Rule ahead of him.
1: Yeah, I, I think maybe that's another thing too. Again, not making the case that he's great. I know we've seen – you know, we've seen that his offense has done really well in the past like when, he was, when he was with Tennessee, and I, I think I'm maybe giving him credit off of that. Um, and I just think as far as if we're comparing the two over the success they've had as head coaches, I would say that Matt Rule had a better situation at least the past two years than Arthur Smith has had in Atlanta the past. You know, So it's, it's a weak argument. We're splitting hairs on this one for mm-hmm. sure. This is definitely in the dirt talking about the three and four uh, coaches down here in the AFC South who might both be in the bottom – 10 of the league overall as far as head coaches go you know maybe not but i do think i do think, i, I though, agree i agree with the incomplete process <laughs> though
0: yeah he gets an eye you know i mean that's but i do like your points about allen and bowls I, I have the same uh list i have bowls in one and allen at two but i think they're both excellent defensive coaches excellent defensive coaches i think bowls actually is a really great job with the jets for what he had and, and got them to where like they needed, they almost were in a playoff team with, with him. Mm. I mean, I think he got an unfair deal in New York as some coaches get, some just are terrible, but you know, I, I think with bowls, he's a guy that commands respect of the room. I think Arians is just a loud mouth to be quite honest with you and just kind of dealt with it in a lot of ways, smacking guys on the helmet and, you know, I think Brady was kind of honestly fed up with his antics a little bit. I think Bowles will leave Brady alone. That's what I think yeah. he'll do. Because honestly, when you have Tom Brady on your team, yeah, Byron Love running the offense. But man, I mean, you got another coach on, on the field than Tom Brady. So and Bowles is just a great defensive mind with a great defense. Allen, same way. And the Pete Carmichael, I don't think there's, there's much to say. I, I'll be interested to see how Pete Carmichael does as a as a a play caller, we saw it last year when Peyton had COVID against, I think it was against the bucks and Carmichael was the one that had to call those plays for Hill and they didn't have a great game, but they won that game and shut them out. Like it was like nine to nothing or something weird like that. Remember new Orleans has beaten Tampa four straight times in the regular season. So, and actually it might extend before Brady was there. So, you know, this is a very interesting group, but, uh, yeah, uh, I go bulls, Allen rule, and incomplete Smith over there. So uh we'll, we'll call him. But uh yeah, this is this is interesting. I do have a couple of over-unders here. I do have the Saints over uh at eight and a half, but now I'm starting to think I, I think the Panthers are like five and a half, six. I think with their quarterback situation now, there could be an opportunity to maybe play the over on that. And of course, I have the Falcons, I think, is under like four and a half or something like that. I just don't see them doing anything this year, so um just a couple of plays in this division but um yeah it, it's an interesting one no question
1: yeah I, I agree i definitely i'm i'm gonna be on that uh, new orleans over like a new orleans to make the playoffs uh you know bet i'm looking for some of those to come out some team to make the playoffs um and usually get some some decent plus odds you know it's team it like new orleans might be a short like minus 110 or a plus 110 so uh that's something i'll be looking for atlanta is one i'll stay away from again just because of mystery just i don't know they're just a mystery they're an enigma they uh and they've hurt my brain too much so i'm going to stay as far away from the dirty birds this year as i can
0: probably a good choice it's, it's, it's a good thing to get off the get it's off the bet, drugs. betting
1: with or against i just i'm gonna just avoid falcons games
0: stay off the drugs that's great good job good for you you're you're really maturing now i love it uh that's that's it and that's all um for this week though hey Maddie Waves next week. Well, well, Silicon Valley, NFC West, Seattle, oh, yeah. San Francisco, L.A. You know, type of deal. Arizona, like all, like lots of stuff going on in that division. Quarterbacks and coaches Six. and all the, the defenses my, are
1: sick. Like it's been one of my long. favorite quarterbacks that
0: in that, mm. that division. One of like my favorite. Matty, Matty S, not Mighty
1: Matty Ice. Next week, I love that oh boy oh let's see where drew lock cracks the list <laughs> forgot about him oh I, gotta we gotta see, totally- I, I could tell what i was saying you weren't know I was talking no, about him. i totally predict- gotta see where drew that. Locke cracks the list on this one drew lock oh boy all right number
0: one in your rankings i already know it in my heart in your heart absolutely hey i'll let you go brother this is this is always fun and uh, we'll be back next week finishing up uh the positions and then we are on to some, we're getting fantasy. we're getting a prediction show, we're getting a whole nine yards. 50 days, my friend, till kickoff.
1: kick off. Let's say, after this Sunday, we will have seven Sundays till football's back. Seven Sundays till the first full football weekend.
0: That is extremely exciting. We are five days away from all teams reporting to training camps. We are like under two weeks away from the Hall of Fame game. Going on in Canton. and the whole season starts getting in our way. We can actually assess these guys. Oh, dog, yeah, I'm excited.
1: Yes, it's high. It's high that we can actually be back and, and watch stuff on the field versus, again, we are just looking at names on depth charts right now, is all we're doing. And I want to actually watch some football.
0: I love it. I love it. All right, my brother, well, you take care. Thank you so much. For Matty Ice, Maddie C Matt Silberth, I am Dan Zampano, and we thank you for listening. Sunday call. The Sunday Card podcast is co hosted and directed by Dan Zimpani, co hosted by Matt Silbrick, and produced by Lou Paracone. You can listen to The Sunday Card on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also listen to us on Sports Country Radio at sportscountry.net at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 5 p.m. on Saturdays, and again at 11.30 a.m. on Sundays. Follow us on Twitter for all of our picks throughout the regular season at The Sunday Card. And remember, If you have a gambling problem, call
1: 1-800-GAMBLER. That's 1-800-GAMBLER.